Hello and welcome back to Let the Stone Speak. I'm Brent Naktagal, your host. Today, we've got a very interesting program for you. Just yesterday, I interviewed Dr. Scott Stripling, the provost at the Bible Seminary in Katy, Texas, and also the director of the Renewed Shiloh Excavations. That's on behalf of the Associates for Biblical Research. Dr. Stripling actually leaves today, May 12th, for Israel, and in a couple of weeks, he'll begin his next season of excavations at Tel Shiloh. On today's uh, episode, and in the interview that I recorded yesterday, he goes through the biblical import of this site, as well as what they've discovered in the previous season, and very interestingly, what they hope to find more of this upcoming season, particularly in relation to the tabernacle. Of, of ancient Israel that housed the Ark of the Covenant there for over uh, three centuries there at Shiloh. So please stick around for the entirety of this 20-minute interview. I would also like to get draw your attention to the fact that we put out a magazine about biblical archaeology that you could be very interested in. This is entitled Let the Stone Speak. It comes out six times per year, and it's available to you for free. All you have to do is request it. You can do that by going to our website, armstronginstitute.org and you can scroll down somewhere on the front page you'll find a place where you can request your own subscription of this as well as uh, you can write emails a simpler way is just to write an email to letters at armstronginstitute.org and just say you want the magazine and we'll make sure that you get it so for today's program here is dr scott stripling dr stripling thanks very much for joining us once again you're about to head off uh, to excavate one of the most important sites in Israel, Tel Shiloh. How long has it been since you've been working there at the site? Hey, Brent. Well, thanks for having me on today. It's a joy to uh, excavate at Shiloh. We've been there since 2017 and uh, with a two-year hiatus because of COVID. So this will be our fourth season of excavation. So if people are uh, are unfamiliar with Shiloh, maybe you can give just a really brief uh, a brief recap of the, the biblical import of, of this site. Absolutely. Shiloh is first mentioned when Joshua erects the tabernacle there. So we really don't know much from the Bible before that point. We do from archaeology know that it goes back to about the MB2 period when it's uh, founded, but uh, it becomes a cultic site. It's Israel's capital for the first 300 years or so. The Ark of the Covenant is there. And uh, so it's always going to matter because of that. And uh, later Shiloh was destroyed because of their apostasy, their wickedness. God uses them as an example when he warns Jerusalem that they're about to be destroyed. He says in Jeremiah 7, 12, go now to Shiloh. Right. See, see what I did there. Don't think I won't allow Jerusalem to be destroyed. I love Shiloh and I allowed them to be destroyed. So the, the Shiloh connections always tie back to the presence of God and the tabernacle there. And just when you say cultic, I just want, can you describe what you mean by cultic? I think people hear that word, perhaps that are unfamiliar with archaeology right, and right. they get a bit scared. <laughs> yeah, it's religious. Basically, when we talk about a group's cult, we're just talking about their religious practices. So all, all cultures, the word cultures is based on cult. In other words, you form your values based on some religious system. So by, by cult, we're just talking about the religious practices. And you're, you've, excavated and we've had you on the show multiple times and um, you've excavated many different sites uh, in Israel of course but you're most famous lately from the discovery of the Ebal inscription I see there on your mug uh, that you've you've got the name of God written on your mug 
Yeah, and I didn't make that mug. Somebody's making money on these mugs online uh, because uh, they they got out mugs and shirts and all kinds of stuff. Somebody bought it for me. Okay, <laughs> uh, what what specifically drew your drew your attention to to Shiloh? Um, I suspect it was your motivation, perhaps, or did somebody just ask you? Can you come and be our director of the excavations? Well, it was surprisingly, it was both. Um, our research focus is definitely in the highlands of Israel, the period of the conquest. You know, I'm interested in all periods um, in history and specifically all biblical periods, uh, fascinated with the New Testament materials. I've excavated New Testament sites as well. But our primary focus is in the conquest. And so when you're talking about the highlands of Israel, this is in the sweet spot. You know, this is another conquest site after so many years at Kerbet el Makathir, finishing there, that we were able to segue into the new dig. Now, a sane individual would have taken two or three years off and published and then launched a new dig, but um, I did not do that, so apparently I'm not very sane. Um, we had this fine oiled machine that was up and running, and I just couldn't see shutting it down, so the doors opened for us to go to Shiloh, the local community, we had close ties there. The Antiquities Authority also was, was eager for us to, to do this. So it just kind of all came together and it was a perfect fit. So when you say our, maybe you can describe um, the organization that is, 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 is behind this research uh, expedition. Right. Associates for Biblical Research has been working in the Highlands of Israel for 43 years. And uh, this is the third site that we've excavated, fourth site that we've excavated uh, in the Highlands, and then we've done work at other places as well. So ABR is a consortium of universities and individuals who are like-minded, who want to then participate under that umbrella organization. So like this summer, I have 15 universities and institutions that are working as part of our consortium. Um, all under my direction, but then we have a whole hierarchy, you know, that right. has fallen into place over the years. And and as far as the the experts that are involved in your excavation, the, I take it there's some uh, Americans, probably maybe some Europeans, maybe and plenty from Israel as well. Is that is that the case? You nailed it. That's it. We have uh, participants from uh, professors from several Israeli universities, students as well some European and, uh, and then a lot of Americans. And to get a license to excavate at this site, this, this just undergoes the, what, what type of treatment do you need to, to get a license to excavate? I mean, this is, you know, as you say, this is where, where Israel began in many ways uh, as, a, as a religious site. So um, how are Israelis allowing you to come in and, and touch this site and destroy it basically <laughs> through your archaeological right. practice. Right. I mean, they have to really have confidence in you because archaeology is a destructive practice. You know, we destroy the evidence and we make it inaccessible to others. So it's a great burden to do it correctly. Um, the, the area that we're in, Judea Samaria, since the 1993 Oslo Accords is referred to as Area C. Mm -hmm. And so a subsidiary of the Israeli Antiquities Authority, known as the Civil Administration of Judea Samaria, uh, is in charge of all archaeology uh, in that area. So it's a little bit of a complicated answer, but essentially we are licensed through a subsidiary of the IAA right. to uh, do our work there. And I, I understand that there is an excavation going on there as well. 
maybe even right now, maybe it finished, I'm not too sure, from, by the civil um, civil authority. Um, how, how, how do you work with them? Um, are you aware of their discoveries? They're aware of yours, given that you're excavating the same site? Yeah. Yes, uh, we do communicate. They do salvage projects, basically. Uh, let's say that a parking lot needs to be expanded. It's got to be excavated. Or the visitor center is going to be expanded. It's got to be excavated, that, that type of a thing. Uh, and yes, we do stay in touch. We share our reports with them. They share theirs with us. And we, we try to collaborate as much as we can because, I mean, I've got sort of <laughs> like the world's biggest jigsaw puzzle that I'm trying to put together. I've got Danish excavations, which started 100 years ago in 1922. We're celebrating mm -hmm. the centennial uh, this summer. Uh, so I've got to incorporate in my thinking and my analysis what the Danish finds were and did they label it correctly do they you know right. i can't just go from what's in the reports i've got to go back and check it and take their terminology then i've got the barilan finkelstein excavation from the 1980s that i've got to take that data into account which has different terminology and overlap that then i've got Kamat data from their salvage projects and then i have our extensive you know and ours will definitely turn out to be the largest most extensive excavation but when I publish in the end, I've got to be able to cross-reference all right. those other things if we're going to have an accurate picture of what happened in antiquity. So let's go to your discoveries then related to the first few seasons tw since 2017, I believe you said. Um, and, and I'm happy to just to stick to the period in which the, the tabernacle is set up and then the time that it is taken down, I, I suppose. Um, how have your discoveries um, really uh, highlighted that period in history? Well, it's a very, very fascinating period. We're talking about the LB2A, LB2B, Iron 1 kind of matrix, maybe the beginning of Iron 2A. So, so can you give some dates to, to people that... Yeah, I mean, let's say if I'm taking an early date uh, for the Exodus and Conquest, and you're synchronizing that with the Bible, maybe that helps your readers. Yep. We're talking about something around 1400, the tabernacle being erected at Shiloh and destroyed around 1075 BC, something like that. Okay. And and you're, obviously, you your goal is to discover what you discover. And of course, to get to this period, you've got to take off uh, later um, accumulation later habitation however from this period itself what can you reveal what is the picture that's emerging how does it relate to the bible based on your first few seasons well exciting we now for the first time after three seasons and we're publishing our three-year report right now we have our first clear late bronze age stratum and so it's a little frustrating when you're dealing with late bronze age material and sites because they most often reused the MB fortification. So the Middle Bronze Age houses and walls and storage rooms, they, they mainly lived in tents and used tents. And then whatever structures were already in place, they continued to use those maybe with minor repairs. So it's a little difficult, but we can now piece together that transition into the Late Bronze Age. So that's, but that's significant. But that's, that's to be expected, um, correct? Right. Well, if one's taking, you know, the biblical text seriously, yes, uh, you're going to live in houses you didn't build, you're going to occupy cities you did not construct, 
that's very consistent with what we find. And then theologically, you may have a dynamic that's going on too, where like I, we can't build houses for ourselves while God still sleeps in a tent. So here you've got God in a tent at Shiloh until we get a quasi tent temple built, you know, the language in 1 Samuel 3 becomes permanent. Then we have the Mishnaic references uh, to a, a structure being built at Shiloh for the tabernacle. Let's wait on that. I want to get to that towards towards the end. Um, just the reference that you mentioned there, dwell in houses that you did not build. This is something that, that Moses said. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And so they're going to live in the, the Middle Bronze Age structures if they're coming in during the Late Bronze Age, is that for the Israelites, just to make it clear? Yeah, right. Or or LB1 structures or whatever, but they're going to, existing structures that are there, they're going to continue to live in for some time, and that's what we see. There's not a demographic explosion, if you will, in the archaeological record until about 1200, which again, it takes several generations until you have that demographic explosion. And do you also find this this um, related, let's say, Iron Iron One, this the period, this demographic explosion happened? Um, do you find evidence of expansion of Shiloh during that time as well, or are they still, you know, using the same? Uh... No, they they begin to build their own structures. Coincidentally when we get a platform for the tabernacle that is constructed, that's the same time that we get, begin to see their own structures emerging too. You can look at it sociologically, anthropologically, and try to analyze what other cultures have, have done in a similar sense, but it's, there is a correlation. Okay. So let's, you've, maybe you can just briefly talk about the evidence that you have of this, um, of its use, this site's use, as a cultic site for the Israelites as the Bible would, would describe. Okay, here's a few things. We have storage rooms that line the northern perimeter of the fortification wall. So these right next to the building that appears to be the platform of the tabernacle, we have in close proximity these storage rooms that line the interior. That is different from any site in Israel. This is unique in its, in its construction. And they're full of Iron Age one <clears throat> collar grim jars, which is typical of what you would expect for people bringing tithes that need to be stored. We also have a building which orients east-west, which appears to match uh, identically the dimensions given in the Bible for the tabernacle. Around that building, we have a demolished four-horned altar we have ceramic pomegranates that we're excavating. When you say around that building, you have a demolished four-horned altar. Um, you see it there, or you see the find the horns. How is that? Can you just be a bit more? Yeah, we just immediately outside the building, we have a beautifully preserved altar horn, and then we have another one that is used in secondary usage as part of a wall of a later wall there. So, and then there's a destruction matrix right in there that we carbon dated and ceramically analyzed to 1075 BC, uh, which is matches perfectly the Philistine destruction of Shiloh, alluded at in the Bible, but not specifically referenced in the Bible. And then maybe most importantly, immediately to the east of that building, if you walked 30 seconds or so, 
you would reach the, the eastern perimeter wall. And on top of that wall, and immediately on the inside and immediately on the outside, a favisa. Only bones from the biblical sacrificial system, full of late Bronze Age pottery, very datable late Bronze pottery from the uh, LB1B, LB2A horizon, so around 1400 BC, mm-hmm. matching, say, the Bet Shean assemblage very, very closely, which dates to that time period. And two thirds of those bones, Brent, are from the right side of the animal, one third are from the left side of the animal. This is a clear indication, if one is a Bible reader and reads Leviticus 7, that you're dealing here with verisimilitude, okay? The Bible says that the right side of the animal is the priest's portion. Give me another explanation for that, and I would love to hear it. So when we take these things inductively, if you will, the bone deposit, the fabisa, the, the structure that matches the dimensions, the storage rooms, the demolished altar, the palm granites, I think we're getting a synchronism and a clear picture of what was happening at Shiloh in the period of the tabernacle, period so, of Eli and Samuel. Okay. So I remember um, interviewing you a few years ago, and at that point, you had this idea that perhaps there was a roaming location for the tabernacle itself. Do you feel like the evidence is, is pointing to a more stationary structure? Um, I, I do. And uh, let it not be said that I'm unwilling to change my mind. I mean, Mm -hmm. you hypothesize, right? When you start an excavation and my hypothesis was that perhaps the tabernacle was, uh, was mobile, that the whole site was sacred and maybe it moved from different, different locations because it's the the idea that it's on that Northern platform where tourists are taken to today. is very problematic. Um, so I thought maybe it was mobile. The summit made good sense to me, if, if anything. And that's what the Danish thought. And that's what the Barilan team thought as well. The mm-hmm. summit would be the logical place. So I, of all people, was the most surprised when on the northern slope in area H1, we uncovered this building. Okay, that that caught me by total surprise. So, so this building itself was not previously uncovered. Is that what you're saying? Or no, only one section of the wall in Area K that extended through Finkelstein had uncovered one small section in uh, the 1980s, which he had dated incorrectly to the Middle Bronze Age. Um, so um, this was not what I expected, but as the evidence uh, unfolded, I had to say apparently my previous theory was just that. It was a theory, and um, we've got a better candidate. So I've always said that when people say you're excavating at Shiloh and and they they would ask, you know, do you expect them to find the ark? Oh, not the ark, the tabernacle. I'm like, well, the tabernacle is made of um, of animal animal skin. So that's long gone. Never. Uh, They would never be able to discover it. So you're saying that you have evidence of the function of the altar. But then tell me a little about this this idea of a platform. Um, is this in bedrock? Is this, is this part of uh, are these built walls as well that are attached to it? Um, or is this one of the goals of the next season of excavation to try and discern more of this? Yeah, yes, 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 and yes. Um, we have three corners of the building this summer. We should know very early on if we have the fourth corner where I think it is, then I can speak with more confidence uh, about what this probably is. The, the Bible in 1 Samuel 3 gives you some hints in the language. You've got temporary language in the first part of the chapter, 
the curtains of the tabernacle. By the end of the chapter, you're talking about the walls of the tabernacle and the so, door of the so, tabernacle. So the biblical story attached to First Samuel 3, can you just paint that for us a little bit? Yeah, well, that's where Samuel is, is um, growing from a small child, in, and he's hearing the voice of God, he's sleeping in the tabernacle, and along the way, and then ultimately the, the ark, and Phineas and Hophni, the wicked sons of Eli, and how the ark is taken to the battle of Ebenezer, and then it's captured, so all that's happening in chapter three, but along the way, when the tabernacle is referred to, you get this temporary language at the beginning, and by the end, you've got permanency, walls and doors, delet, for example, in Hebrew. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's a hint in, it's clear in Hebrew, but you can even pick it up in English. Then you look in, for example, the Mishnaic literature, the Seder Olam, and is it the, I, I forget the second source, but we have a second source in the Mishnah, they both say the same thing, that there was a temporary, semi-permanent structure built at Shiloh, for the tabernacle. So you're sort of thinking about a platform with stub walls, maybe, and uh, a tent over it. So it's a quasi Mishkan and temple. That's interesting. Together. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I'm just thinking about this this location. I think you've you've been there before in the city of David, where David put the the at least the tent of uh, a different tent, exactly. where you have. The base of walls carved into bedrock, but nothing over the you top. You nailed it. You're reading my mind. That is exactly right. Right next to the Gihon Spring, you have walls and a temple, stubs temple structure, probably, in my view, very likely David's tabernacle with a tent over it. So it's mm -hmm. quasi. Okay. And, yours, and this is the very last portion of Shiloh being, before it's destroyed, being the religious side of Israel. That's, is that right? That's right. I mean, it's always going to have a special place. Uh, later, you have a prophet there uh, that, you know, people go to the, the prophet at Shiloh and, mm -hmm. you know, these, these references even in the time of Jeremiah, but it's more reminiscing. Uh, it's not the central uh, cultic center. So let's just get a little preview. I know you've talked about this a little bit already, but a preview for this next season. When does it begin? How long does it go for? What are your questions you hope uh, are answered here in the next uh, however long it is? I leave tomorrow. I arrive May 13th in Israel, be doing some a filming project, and we also have a pre-dig tour going on and a bunch of administrative stuff to get ready for the dig. May 22nd will be our setup day, and then May 23rd will actually begin excavations for season four. We dig Monday through Friday for four weeks consecutively, and then we do a fifth week of restoration work at the site, strengthening any walls and so forth that we excavate uh, along the way. Uh, so that's what it looks like. We're up, uh, once we get into dig mode, we're up early, and it's sort of like being in military boot camp. Mm-hmm. And then, so the the academic or the the research questions you have to answer, are you just, I mean, you have limited resources as an as an archaeologist, so you want to dig in the best spots that you can perhaps find the the most important answers to your questions. What are your questions, uh, if you can share? And um, yeah, I mean, we we're trying to clarify the transition from the Canaanite period to the Israelite period. Okay, from MB three into the LB1B, LB2A horizon, if you will, trying to understand that transition. 
we're trying to understand also the the extent to which the site was occupied in the late second temple period which by the way is extensive uh, mm -hmm. the entire the entire site we've got got a large large settlement there in the time of jesus we have byzantine remains we have a little bit of early islamic material uh late roman material as well a little bit of persian a little bit of iron too so We've got a clear stratigraphy now, but our research focus is that transition between the Bronze Age and the Iron Age. And how many areas are you excavating um, across the site? Are you focused mainly on the Tabernacle area? Or? We're primarily in Area H1, which is a, a large area, and it just fortuitously, that's where this building emerged in the center of, of H1 as we've been excavating. We will extend a little bit into area K, which is right across the path from us so that we can explore the rest of the building. And then perhaps uh, we'll be able to explore area D as well, where we have the Favisa and the bone deposit. If you find something blockbuster, um, just this, this season in your excavations, how long would people expect if nothing's leaked? <laughs> how how long would you expect it to go from this process of of just so people are aware that it takes some time, a process of excavation to publication, and making its way to the popular popular domain? Um, I'm pretty pretty disciplined, pretty focused um, on this. I mean, I'm in the final stages. Before the dig begins on May 22nd, I should have the peer-reviewed article on the Ebal tablet in the hands of the publisher. So that's pretty lightning fast. And uh, so publication is always our goal. Um, right. It is not to excavate, it is to, to publish. Um, we're, we'll do the same thing with this find. I mean, it'll be on a fast track and uh, it'll be my top priority to, to get that published and to get the word out. Okay. Well, all the best on, on your, your travels, travels here tomorrow, tomorrow and uh, the setup. And, you know, I hope to come out and visit you at the site here in the next month and just to see it with my own eyes and, and perhaps have you explain it. Um, but thank you very much for uh, affording us your time today. We really appreciate you talking with us. Happy to do it, Brent. And I'm going to have a, a trowel and some gloves ready for you when you arrive. Okay. <laughs> Looking, Looking forward, forward to, to it. it. Thank all you right. very much. Blessings. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed that video with Dr. Stripling. Thank you very much for listening to it. If you enjoyed that program, you will probably enjoy the rest of our archaeological related material from our website. Simply go to armstronginstitute.org and scroll down. You'll see a place where you can type in your email address and this will sign up for you for the Armstrong Brief. This is going to be a way that whenever there is new archaeological or history related material, such as these interviews or articles along the similar lines, uh, we'll send you a, a, just one email to let you know what's new on our website. You can also, again, request our magazine, Let the Stone Speak, a magazine that is, comes out six times per year. You can get a hard copy of this for absolutely nothing, absolutely free. Wherever you are in the world, we'll send this to you. All you have to do is renew after a year, and this will just keep on rolling, rolling over. Uh, we'll never request any money uh, from you or any further information from you at all. We just want to do this so that you can enjoy and also keep up to date and be aware of all these amazing discoveries coming out of the land of the Bible. Thank you very much for listening today, and have a wonderful week.